Hey, good morning. Welcome to Grace City. If I had a chance to meet you yet, my name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of our community this morning. Uh, I guess it's been maybe five, six weeks ago as a church, we started a new teaching series called The Gospel Project. And in this, we've been walking through the opening pages of Scripture. And with that, we are seeing the beginning of the story of the kingdom of God. We've been looking and seeing how Scripture reveals to us the story of how God's work and how God's moving, how He's uh, pushing back against the darkness that we see in this world. And we see just from the opening pages, we begin to see the story of the kingdom of God begin to unfold. And with it, each Sunday, it seems as though we're seeing different expressions of the grace of God as, as we see the beginning of the story of the kingdom of God. Like uh, in the creation account, there's Adam and Eve and everything was good, everything was perfect, but they kind of rejected their role in the story of God's kingdom. They wanted to be as their creator. They rejected his wisdom. They rejected his plan. They, they rejected their role and, and, and they sinned and the fall happened. But yet we saw God's faithfulness and God's grace and that he doesn't abandon them. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't just leave them. He, he still works for them. He still works on their behalf and still makes a way for them to be a part of the story of the kingdom of God. And we saw after Adam and Eve, we saw uh, how humanity continued to, to populate this earth. And then they too chose to express their rebellion against God to the point to where God sends his flood. But even after the flood, we see another expression of God's grace and that he begins again with Noah and his family. So he doesn't abandon creation. He still continues to use people as part of the story of God's kingdom. But if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we saw how Noah and his descendants, or not Noah, but Noah's descendants, um, also expressed their sinfulness and their pride and their hubris as they, they built a tower of Babel. And we looked and saw how they were rejecting God's command to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And they were trying to do that to celebrate their own greatness, to just live in one place. They rejected the call to actually uh, bless all of, of creation by going and filling the earth. And yet we saw God lovingly disciplined, lovingly correct kind of thwart their efforts by introducing these new languages, uh, but then also give a gracious new beginning and that he helped them to spread across the earth, fill the earth, and once again turn back to the command that God had given them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But even with that spread, as they, as they spread across the earth, what we see in the opening pages of Scripture is there is an ignorance towards who God is, towards his character, towards his nature, and towards his attributes. And so to help the world begin to learn this, to help humanity discover who God is, discover his character and his nature and his attributes, God determines to choose for himself a people that he will bless. God decides to form a nation that he will bless, that in, will t that in turn will then bless all nations. And what's crazy to me about that is that we've seen a track record of failures, right? Adam and Eve failed. Noah, you know, the descendants failed. Noah and his descendants, there, there was failure. So there's, there's humanity, there's a role given and a role rejected, and there's failure. And yet all the way through it, God is continuing to express his grace, continuing to give an invitation into the story of the kingdom of God. And when he chooses to form for himself a people, when he chooses to form for himself a nation and give them this role to then in turn bless all nations, we see another expression of God's grace that he is once again inviting them to play a part in his role, inviting them into the story of the kingdom of God. And I believe that's still an invitation that God has given to you and to me. Do you know that? That God has invited you to play a part, to contribute a line, to write a chapter and the grand, eternal, redemptive story of the kingdom of God. It, it's a way that we help one another discover life and who Christ is. 
and, and what he's done, and who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. But that's a big line. Like, you, you might be like, okay, Hederman, you're just getting in preacher mode and kind of overshooting, right? Like, you just said we get to have a role, we get to contribute a verse in the grand, eternal, redemptive story of the kingdom of God. You might be overshooting a little bit. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm flawed, right? I mean, we know this about ourselves. Like, you might be like, man, that, that's great and all, that sounds good, that maybe starts to get me motivated, but like, I'm wanting to make rent, <laughs> like, I'm wanting to pass my exam this week, so like, how do I... Like, it's, it's a great invitation to be sure, but it's just something that helps us, that, that we intuitively know there's a gap, because there's God, He's eternal, He's all-powerful, He's righteous, He's holy, we're flawed, we're barely making it by to, to some degree, and, and so, like, hearing this statement, that you can have a line in the story of the kingdom of God, like, there, there, there could just be this pushback, like, there's no way I'm going to have the audacity to say, you know what, that's me. I can do that, right? Like, I can be the one to, to contribute a verse, so to speak. But herein lies the wisdom and, and, and the provision of God, that our ability, your ability to contribute a line, your ability to play our part depends not upon ourselves and our faithfulness to God, but it has everything to do with God's faithfulness to his people. You see, it is God who establishes, it is God who calls out, and it is God who enables his people to then in turn be a blessing to the world around them. And in so doing, contribute a line, write the verse, add a chapter to the story of the kingdom of God. You with me? I want you to see this. Let's go to the opening page of scripture. Go to Genesis 12. So we're a few chapters in. We're going to see, uh, I won't say the first expression because we've, we've seen that through Adam and Eve, through uh, Noah, and, and through all sorts of different ways. We've seen these invitations and how people continue to kind of reject them. We're going to see another invitation given, and this time it's given to a man by the name of Abram. God will later uh, rename a uh, Abram to be Abraham who is Father Abraham, and he had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, right? No. So, uh, so it's Father Abraham who uh, is the father of the Israelite nation. And here we see the promise for that nation to come into existence. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord has said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now at this point it's important to note there's, there's really nothing in, inherently special about Abraham. In fact, some scholars even believe that he worshipped pagan gods before God spoke to him, before God uh, issued this invitation to him. And if you were to keep reading Genesis and keep reading some of Abraham's story, uh, you'll see that he makes um, just some incredibly immoral and bad decisions uh, th throughout his, his life. And so again, with this invitation, I believe we see the grace of God on full display. And that God simply just chose Abraham. He didn't merit it. He didn't deserve it. God chose him. You might even say God elected Abraham in this moment. But know this, it wasn't an election of Abraham to the condemnation of others. Okay, hear me on this, all right? It, it, was, it was an election, a choosing that also came with a command, a responsibility to bless all nations. And I would say, too, that this is not a, a double election, if you will, like electing to bless Abraham and electing to condemn others. There was just one election, one choosing, so to speak, a choosing an election of Abraham and then giving him this role, giving him this purpose that, that he and his descendants were to, in turn, be a people 
who blesses all nations, who live in such a way to where they know and determine and can see that the God of the Israelites is the one true God, to live in such a way to where others can find hope and life and joy in the God of the Israelites. It's an invitation into the story of the kingdom of God. It's an invitation to be a people who will turn and then bless all nations. But by Genesis 15, Abraham's beginning to doubt. So just three chapters over for us, but it's 25 years in the life of Abraham. Because 25 years later, he's still without a child as a result of this promise. And so Abraham begins to doubt, and it is not without reason. Because when the first promise was given, Genesis chapter 12, he was already 75 years old. So uh, crazy, it's kind of beyond the imagination that he could, you know, kind of start a family in this way at that age. And now he's 100 years old. And so if this is going to happen, it's going to be a miracle, right? Like it's going to be a, a divine work of God in and through Abraham and his family. But it's 25 years removed, he's 100 years old. And there's no child to be seen as a result of of this promise. And so he begins to question and doubt, is God going to be faithful to keep his word? To show to Abraham that God is serious, that God is going to be faithful, that he is going to keep his word. God determines to enter into a covenant with Abraham. And I want us to see the start of this. uh, Chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me, since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my state is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought, you out of, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Okay, let's, let's stop there because there's enough to kind of uh, unpack for us a little bit. At the start of that, you, you can hear a little bit of despair in Abram. Uh, a, a little bit of, of, of desperation in Abraham that he's almost, almost accusatory. Like, you promised me a family. You promised me a, a, a child as a result of this promise, and, and they're not here yet. Are you going back? Are you going back on your word? Are you still faithful? Are you still loyal? It, it, you can almost hear as though he's preparing for God to let him down. Like, I, I don't think you're going to come through here, God. I don't think you're going to honor your word. I thought you loved me. Are you faithful, God? Right? He's, he's given those questions. He's given those doubts. He's given those worries back to the Lord. You, you can almost kind of hear the, the desperation of just, or maybe even just the pain of someone who's, who's wanting a family and, and, it's, it's, and wanting a family as a result of this promise and it not coming to fruition. And so he's putting those pleas, putting those cares before the Lord in this way. And uh, before we you know, throw stones at Abraham, remember last week it was all about lament. How do we put our grief before the Lord? How do we put our mourning before the Lord? How do we too put our questions before the Lord? And so we see here maybe a little bit of lament, maybe a little bit of grief uh, placed before the Lord. But yet in his questions, even in his grief, even in his lament, the Lord meets Abraham and goes to reassure him. And the way that he goes to reassure Abraham is that he will enter into a covenant with him. Now, uh, I keep keep kicking the can down the road. We're going to get to the covenant in just a second. But I, I want us to have kind of a... Uh, full understanding of kind of the cultural history around covenants. 
And I know that just lit everybody's fire. You're like, yes, that's what I came today for. Uh, but, but no, all right, so let's, let's talk about it a little. When I say covenant, uh, what, there's a couple things that could come to your mind. Um, like a marriage covenant, a marriage vow, and that, that's certainly a way to kind of make that, that correlation. Um, but you can also think uh, like an early form of a contract because there, there, are some, there is a little bit of overlap there. And uh, much like a contract and a covenant, there were different sections. There was part of, a, part of the covenant that was a section that uh, specifically said who's entering into the covenant, which parties are coming into it. Like you and your neighbor or, or you and a, a landowner, like you are entering into this covenant. That would be kind of one portion of the covenant. Then another portion of the covenant would be um, the requirements. Okay, this is what is required of me. This is what is required of you. Kind of the expectations uh, that, that would be met in that covenant. So that would be another section of the covenant. Then there would be the rewards and penalties section, or, or sometimes it's referred to as the blessings and the curses. Um, that, that started to get everybody's attention, like the blessing and the curses section. Um, but that's like, so if I'm faithful to it, this is what can I expect to happen in return. If I'm unfaithful to the covenant, this is the price that I know I'm going to have to pay. Um, this is what's going to happen to me in regards to breaking the covenant, in regards to breaking the contract. Once more, in this culture, they didn't make a contract like with pen and paper. They enacted it. They, they kind of uh, lived it out, so to speak, through symbolism and imagery of that these two parties were entering into a covenant. And the way that they would do this is they would sacrifice an animal. So, bad day for the animals. But they would get a goat or something, and they would kill it, and they would cut it in two. So, we're getting graphic. Um, they, they would cut the animal in two to where all the blood and kind of all the entrails and all that stuff would, would flow into the middle, in between these two pieces, in between the two halves of the sacrifice, and actually make a, a, a blood path, is what it was called. And so when you entered into a covenant with someone, uh, you got the other person and y'all got together and you walked in between those two halves of that sacrifice. You walked down the blood path. And that was essentially saying, do to me what you see happening to this animal. Like, take my life if I break this covenant, if I break this contract. Uh, that, so that was the penalty section, right? So very strong. Um, you know, like, you know, everyone knew what they were getting into when you walked the blood path. My life is on the line if I'm entering into this covenant with you. Genesis chapter 15, verse 9, we see a blood path being prepared. Because Abram has just asked the Lord, okay, you, you've promised me these children. You've promised that this is going to happen. You've promised me uh, that, that this land. How do I know that this is going to happen? Because uh, I'm not going to be old enough to, to see it come to fruition. I'm not going to be old enough to kind of see all this develop. So how do I know that you're going to honor this? And God says, let's, let's make a blood path. Let's make a covenant. Genesis chapter 15, verse 9. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. If I'm Abraham at this point, I'm getting nervous. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting nervous at this point because, okay, I'm sacrificing, I'm spreading in two halves a blood path. I am making a covenant with God. Like, because I, 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 I'm starting to see, I'm staring my death in the face, right? Because what is God going to ask me to do? He's God, I'm pretty sure he's got his side of the co covenant on lockdown. What is he asking of me? What am I going to have to fulfill where it's not going to where if I fail, it's going to cost me my life. So I'm starting to, to worry as I make these sacrifices and I start to arrange them in this way. And sure enough, the scripture gives us an indication that maybe he starts to feel this worry and dread. Because look at verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. 
Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So God speaks with him, and he, God speaks to him, he's like, look, it's, it's going to happen, right? You're going to have descendants. There's going to be a period of suffering. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of hard news. Like your descendants, they're going to have a time of suffering. They're going to have a time where they're enslaved. And we, we know that with the story of Israel. They're enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. And then the exodus happens. So, so we know that God honors this command to Abraham. But here he's just telling Abraham, look, they're going to be enslaved for 400 years, but it's not going to end in defeat. I'm going to bring them out of, of slavery, and I'm going to reward them, and then I'm going to give them this land. And so it's kind of calling them back to the promise that we read in Genesis 12. I'll bless you. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I've told you, Abraham, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fulfill it. And so, again, that's, that's nice to hear the Lord say it again, right? It's nice to hear him re reaffirm the, the, the promise. But again, if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking I'm, I'm still on the hook. And I know how much, like, humanity has, has, has sinned and fallen and, and fallen short. So I'm still feeling like I'm, like I'm looking at a death sentence if I step into this covenant agreement with God. But look at verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants I'd give this land. And so we, we see here, right? We, we see uh, the, the blood path is walked. But if you'll re remember, it was supposed to be walked by the two people entering into the covenant. So it should have been just a firepot and Abraham or just a blazing torch and Abraham. But no. Two symbols of God's presence are given, and it, that alone is what walks the blood path. And so we see God giving to Abraham all the benefits, all the rewards, all the blessing of being in this covenant, and God taking responsibility for the failure of the covenant onto himself. God taking the responsibility, God taking the punishment for when, onto himself for when Abraham fails the covenant or when his offspring fails the covenant. And, and know this, one, one other bit about covenants in this culture. When, when, when covenants were made between two groups that were um, unequal in power, like a landowner and, and a servant, um, it was written by the landowner, and then the servant could either just agree to it or, or disagree with it. If he agreed to it, they would live in peace. If they disagreed with it, then they would, they, they would live in conflict. Okay, certainly a, an unbalance of power here, right? God, Abraham. <laughs> and so, so God sets out the covenant, and so it's up to Abraham to either accept it or reject it. And we see throughout all this that although Abraham is, is not, you know, doesn't understand everything that's happening, there's an undercurrent of trust and belief and faith in the Lord throughout all of it. At verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's, there's this desire, I'm going to trust in him however he's going to bring this to fruition. I'm going to accept whatever it is that, that God gives, that God puts in front. I mean, even if he's wondering how this is going to play out, so we see that Abraham is accepting this covenant, he's trusting in the covenant, and we see that he's going to trust in the covenant that God makes with Abraham, because it is a covenant that is not based on Abraham, but it is based on the faith and the work and the provision of God himself, because God is willing to satisfy both parts, knowing the only side of the covenant that's going to be broken is Abraham and his descendants. But nevertheless, God promises to bear the consequences of man's disobedience, 
an unfaithfulness to him and satisfy the covenant. Still with me? Still follow me here? Okay, so, so let's continue to put the pieces of the story of Scripture together, right? So out of Abraham comes Israel. And God has promised to Israel, you, you will be a, a country that will bless all other nations. And they, we see him do that throughout the Old Testament, right? Because they, they get the law. They li- they, uh, <laughs> I say they live according to the law. They have times of success and times of failure with the law. Uh, but, but, they, but in that, they're revealing the character, the nature, the, so many of the attributes of God through, throughout all that. And they help the world see that the God of the Israelites is the one true God. So that's definitely a way that, that, they, that they bless the world. Definitely a way that they, that they bless other nations. But we see kind of the ultimate fulfillment of this in and through God sending a son, Christ Jesus, to be born of the nation of Israel. Because Christ will be born, Christ will be born of the Israelite nation, and he will be the one to ultimately serve all the world in and with his sacrifice. Because you see in Luke chapter 23, in Luke chapter 23, Jesus has been arrested, he's been beaten, he's been taken from one mock trial to another, and now he's being led outside of the city gates to be crucified. And I want us to come in on the crucifixion account here. It'll be on the screens if you want to follow along. Luke 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on the left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear, God, he said, since we are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about noon, and darkness had come over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. So the hour has come for the sacrifice of Jesus. The hour has come for for the one to be sacrificed, who would be the one to be sacrificed for the sins of of, of all fallen humanity. And in this, we we see God fulfill and stay faithful to the promise that he made to Abraham thousands of years before. Because in Genesis 15, right, the smoking fire pot, the blazing torch passed between the two pieces. Do to me as you see on either side, done here. Uh, being willing to suffer the consequences for the failure of Abraham's descendants. With Christ, with a thief on either side and a blood path in the middle and Christ hanging in the balance, we see a blood path and we see God willingly taking the punishment onto himself for us. God passing between, if you will, completing a picture and showing that he has been and is and is willing to pay the price and satisfy the covenant for the sins of the people. That God is faithful to keep his word, faithful to redeem and restore his called out people, a people that he then in turn gives a task to, to bless the nations, to be a people, uh, to, to, to bless the whole world. And it's a thing that we can do, not because of, of, of 
uh, it's a thing that people can do, not because of their faithfulness to him, but because of God's faithfulness to them. It's something that we get to be a part of, that we have a hand in, that we can contribute a verse to, that we can write a chapter to, not because of our faithfulness to God, but because of God's faithfulness to us. Because we broke the covenant, right? There was a blood path prepared that we should have walked, but God provided the sacrifice. He provides the reward, he provides the sacrifice, and he walked it on our behalf. He walked it on your behalf and enables a way for sinfulness to be given to him, for his righteousness to be given in return, and enabled a way for us to be a part of the grand, eternal, redemptive story of the kingdom of God. And so the question that I have for you, and really the question that we have in response to this, of that is this, do you believe that God is faithful to keep his word? Do you believe that God is faithful to keep his word? Do you believe that he's faithful to keep his promise of love and hope and renewal and redemption for any and for all who trust in him? Because that's his promise to us. That's his promise that we have in his word. And it's through that promise that we can in turn bless others by showing and demonstrating and living out fruits of that great redemptive act in our life. And so the question I'm going to keep coming back to, do you believe that God is faithful to keep his word? That it's not just a word or a promise to others, it is a word and it is a promise to you, to your life. That he wants you to know that you can accept and trust in the word and the promise that he has given to you. God's word tells us that if we confess with our mouths that, that, that Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29, hear the whole of this, all right? This is a verse that is kind of on the, the, the frequently played list. You've heard parts of this verse before, but hear all of it. And be mindful that Galatians is written uh, predominantly to Gentiles, so people that weren't part of the Israelite nation, people that weren't part uh, of the original promise made to Abraham. Listen to this whole thing. You are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, here it comes, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what's happening there, right? When we place our faith in Christ, we become sinless as Christ because uh, he takes our penalty on himself. He's walking that blood path for us. He's exchanging our sinfulness with his perfection. We're clothed with Christ. And, 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 and with that, we're, we're, we're part, we're grafted into the promise, grafted into this covenant. And so we're, 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 we, it does not matter our past, our pedigree, but simply do we trust and believe that God is faithful to keep his word. Because when we place our faith in him, we become as Abraham's descendants and Christ walks the blood path on our behalf. He is our substitute. He atones for our sin. And as such, we should then in turn expect and prepare to live our lives in the reality of God's provision and faithfulness. And there are so many times where we don't do that. There are so many times where we, we approach this Christian faith, we approach our life as if, as if it's our one Herculean effort after another, as if somehow we still feel as though we're looking at this blood path thinking I've got to do this or it's going to take everything away from me. And we, we, we stop short of the fact that Christ has walked out on our behalf. It's why we have 
hope. It's why we sing these anthems of praise that call us back to the victory that Christ has won on our behalf. And when we trust in that, when we believe in that, it helps us walk and live in that reality. So that means we can live our lives resting in his grace, resting in his provision, trusting in the hope that our salvation affords. And that's the catalyst. That's the sense of urgency to help us live our lives set apart for his glory. And it's the sense of urgency and the catalyst to help us live our lives in such a way to be a blessing to the world around us. Because we've been called We've been equipped, we've been empowered to be that blessing, and that is how we enact our line, our chapter, the verse, and this grand eternal story that God has invited us into. Through God's pro- my, 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 my prayer this morning is that we would see we would see how all of this is connected. Yes, that we would see how through God's promise to Abraham, that we would see how how God's work in and through the the Israelite people, that we would see God's provision through Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, that we would see throughout all of this, that we would see God's faithfulness. And how with God being faithful to his covenant, he's faithful to the invitation to you and to me that allows us to participate in the story of his kingdom. That's the way our church gets to embrace this calling. It's the way that our church can embrace this by, by being the one to preach the gospel, live the gospel, show the gospel, demonstrate the gospel in a way that helps others discover life and who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. So we're right to have those reservations. There's no way I can have the audacity to say of my own, yeah, I can write a line in this. But, but we, we can't stop there because we can take it a step further and say it's not me, it's not my provision, it's not my faithfulness, it's not my effort, it's not my good, but it has everything to do with the wisdom, the provision, the faithfulness of God. It is the work of Christ that enables us, that invites us to be a part of the story of the kingdom of God. And with that, the one question that I'll end with you is this. I wonder what your verse or your chapter will be. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for this incredible invitation that you have given uh, into your story and into uh, the story of your kingdom. And God, we uh, are so very grateful that it is not dependent on us, on our efforts or on our work, but that God, it has everything to do with you and your provision and your faithfulness. And so God, I thank you for uh, the, the choosing of, of Abraham and how it was, and the, and the choosing of Israel and, and the choosing and calling out of your people to then in turn be a blessing to any and to all so that all can come and find hope and life and joy in you. And so that all can know that we too can be a part of the story of your kingdom. So God, help us to see that truth. Help your word to be a loving corrective in our life. And God, may we um, place our hope and our faith and our trust in you and in your faithfulness and live our lives in the reality of it. God, we love you, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen.